Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Good morning. Good morning. It is uh, Wednesday, October the 11th, 2023. I'm going to call this day five. We will refer to that um, on a couple of occasions today um, because the world changed in really dramatic ways five days ago um, on what we would call Saturday morning, um, October the 7th. And it's going to be one of those days that is going to live in infamy. uh, And so... Today's day five of the world watching and responding to unfolding events in the Middle East, particularly in Israel and among its neighbors, and specifically now in the Gaza Strip. So, so many questions have been raised in the last few days. Many of you have raised questions with me about war and just war and killing and what the Bible says about all of it. So I thought we would start um, this morning with just a few, a few minutes considering that, like just hitting the pause button as we, I mean, absolutely as we consider the headlines um, that are screaming at us uh, today, like what does the Bible say? So the Bible does not approve of war for every cause, like anytime we might want to rattle our sabers and pull them out of our out of their sheaths, you know, it does, the Bible doesn't say, yeah, 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 that's, that's, uh, that, you're good to go. Um, and in the New Testament, we are encouraged to, as much as it depends on us, live peaceably with everyone. That's Romans twelve eighteen. As much as it depends on you, live peaceably with everyone. However, the Bible um, does indicate in both the Old and the New Testaments that there are times that peace and justice require war. I'm thinking here about Matthew 24. Um, And there are some specific considerations in relationship to when people of faith would engage in war. So the Bible does not prohibit all taking of life. Obviously, war is, is going to result in casualties, human casualties. And so the Bible does not prohibit all taking of life. Um, Killing in self-defense is justified in Exodus 22. Um, Capital punishment would be uh, authorized in Genesis chapter 9. Jesus certainly recognized and acknowledged that um, government, human governments are divinely authorized. So let's listen to that. Human governments are divinely authorized to use, quote, the sword. I mean, that's John chapter 19, Romans chapter 12. And under the law, God clearly spells out the rules of warfare for Israel. Listen to that sentence. In Deuteronomy 20, God very clearly spells out the rules of warfare for Israel. That matters in the conversations that we are having in the 21st century about 
the the nation of Israel going to war. And I totally understand that you cannot equate the 21st century modern state of Israel to um, the people God is talking directly to in Deuteronomy 20, but you also cannot separate them. They are not exactly the same, but you cannot separate them either. And so Deuteronomy 20 is particularly important to understand as we consider the events um, unfolding today. The state of Israel has declared war against Hamas. That is one of the, you know, like biblical requirements. War must be declared by a government. Well, the state of Israel has declared war against Hamas. Um, And they have laid siege to the Gaza Strip. And siege warfare is something that you may have heard about in history, but but you probably haven't thought about it a lot um, in terms of what it would be like to live on either side of a siege. Siege warfare is actually expressly addressed in Deuteronomy 20. Um, and again, um, we're going to remember that the modern Jewish state of Israel is largely secular. It's a, it's a largely secular state, but it remains Jewish. In fact, the only Jewish nation in the entire world. And so the Jewish scriptures matter in these conversations. So whatever else this war may be, it is a religious battle with deeply historic roots. And we do well to um, read Deuteronomy 20 today. It's a long chapter, so I'm not going to read it in its entirety right now. Um, but I will read you the the final walk-off verses because it's not an if you besiege a city, it's a when. So beginning at verse 19, it says, when you besiege a city for a long time, making war against it. Um, you do so in order to take it, but do not destroy its trees. Do not wield an axe against them. Yes, you may eat from them, but you shall not cut them down. Um only the trees that you know are not trees for food may you destroy and cut down. Um, And you may build siege works against the city that makes war with you. And you may make siege against it until it falls. So I lift this up to you and I commend to you actually the reading of the entire chapter of Deuteronomy 20 so that you can have a sense of what is behind and beneath conversations about siege warfare, the siege that now exists um, against uh, against Gaza, the Gaza Strip, um, and, and why um, there will be those who say there's a biblical mandate for what's unfolding no matter what happens, no matter what happens to people who you might consider as innocent on one side or the other of, um, of a war. Jesus also forbade his disciples from using a sword for spiritual purposes. You guys know this. I mean, he says to Peter, put your sword away, which indicates that Peter had a sword. So, right? So it's not that uh, Jesus' disciples didn't have swords. Um, And if you have a sword, there must be a reason for it, necessary for the protection of yourself or the innocence around you. Um, John the Baptist did not say that armies should be abolished. Um, He did not. He neither he nor Jesus called for repentance um, from those who were serving in the office of soldier, and so there are complicated conversations to be had about war and warfare. Um, and as Christians, you know, we recognize that maybe Romans thirteen and First um, Peter two 
are passages of scripture that we would turn to. Um, and, and I would also say that, um, you know, the book of Daniel is a good place to look as well. So Israel has declared war against Hamas. Is that biblically legit? Well, um, yeah, according to the Bible, it's declared by a government. It is in defense of the innocent um, or against an evil aggressor. Um, and then here, here will be the, the question and the standard um, from Deuteronomy 20, verse 19. It must be fought by just means. So what are the just means of war today? All of that in view of today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day from Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 and 44. Jesus speaking here. You have heard the law which says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Um, So I'm going to note the exhortation to love and pray for our enemies, which means we have enemies. Um, And nowhere does that preclude the use of force by a nation state, in this case, the state of Israel, to protect and defend the life, liberty, and dignity of her own people and her own land. So these are sober days, and um, we're going to continue on with some sober conversations. Our friend Daryl Crouch is going to join us next. We're actually going to take into view, um, you know, what's happening around the corner, not not just around the world, but what's happening around the corner. What kind of community are you cultivating today right where you live? That's the conversation we'll have next uh, with our friend Daryl Crouch. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Our friend, Pastor Daryl Crouch, is back with us. You can find him at everyoneswilson.org. Good morning, Daryl. Hello, Carmen. It's great to talk to you today. Yeah, it's great to talk with you as well. You have some great um, things posted right now um, on your Substack. Um, And so, yes, I am am against pornography uh, in schools, um, aren't you? Well, yes, uh, unequivocally, uh, if that's the right word, uh, without question, uh, we're against pornography in schools. Um, um, the hope, the hope is there, Carmen, that uh, we would not only be against pornography in schools and uh, all the things that are swirling around in our cultural context right now that are undermining uh, creation order and and undermining a civilized, flourishing society, but that we would engage in a way. The hope with these pieces are that we would uh, re, <clears throat> reposture ourselves or reposition ourselves to engage in a way that that moves hearts and minds uh, in the right direction. Um, I think um, part of what I see is that we've, we, which there's a place that we all need to run in our lanes and s- kind of swim in our our own lanes in the in the swimming pool um, as we're going along. So everyone has a part to play, but I think our our um, the, the progress that we want to make is going to happen when we take seriously Jesus's great commission of making disciples, and we make disciples in the public square just as much or more than we make disciples in a in a church building somewhere. And so um, uh, my hope is that we would just engage people as fellow neighbors uh, who are uh, broken and and buckling under the weight of sin and engage them in a way that um, might even produce the results we hope for. And so that's uh, that's where we're coming from on those pieces. So you're going to ask us to consider four elements serving as what you describe as like daubs of paint on an artist's palette. So we're not thinking them of them as like pillars or scaffolding, um, you know, standing in isolation, but as elements that are, you know, mixed together 
rightly applied to a canvas that we call the public square. Um, so let's talk about element one, persuasion yeah. to virtue. Yeah. So one of the one of the things that I've noticed, and maybe this uh, social media uh, is not um, a marginalized kind of uh, practice anymore. It's become very much a part of the social fabric of our of our existence, and so so much of what we see Christians doing in the public square is on social media. And um, and I'll in the next article that's coming, uh, I'll speak more about this, but. Um, it's very. Uh, it's not the greatest platform if you if you want to to have a discussion. It is a great platform if you want to hit and run. Um, mm. We're we're very good at what I've termed here as micro moralism. Uh, that we we find an issue uh, as Christians, we find an issue that is that is morally wrong, and and I, I don't mind using those words. I think there's right and wrong, black and white. All, all that absolute truth is 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 a thing, but we find something that is morally wrong, and we go to our platform, which is normally social media. We we find that we're, we're not as good at having face to face conversations. We don't even we're not even around people in a face to face way uh, so much of the time, and um and so we use our platform to to hit and run on a certain issue, and we're hoping that the people that are listening to us, mainly our friends, because that's how the algorithms work, mostly people that are already convinced, um, we're, we're hoping that that will somehow move the needle. And, um, and, and so it's a, it's a bit, I think we're missing, we're, we're just missing the mark. And so uh, what happens also, maybe another example is that we go to the school board They've never heard from. They don't know our name. When we walk in the room, the the board doesn't know us. We they've never met us. We've never met them. But we get in front of a microphone and we 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 make platitudes about moral issues that are affecting students, for example. And um, and again, we we thankfully we live in a democracy where people can do that. Uh, my 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 contention is that that as a Christian public theologian, as as disciple makers in the public square, we 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 must be a little bit wiser in the way that we engage, and knowing that that um, simply showing up on social media or anywhere else simply to make a moral stand is probably it's it may be very important, maybe important for your stakeholders, but it's not going to produce the results that we hope as we have been mandated to make disciples of Jesus more than we have to become moral behaviorist in the public square. Um, and so that's, you know, that's the hope that we would cast a, a greater uh, perspective on creation order and why image bearers are precious and why sexuality is, is so fundamentally important to our we would say our ontology, our our who we are as a as a as a person, created in the image of God, and that um, that perversions of that lead to destruction and despair, and cause the public uh, coffers to be emptied as we try to find solutions with taxpayer dollars. That is just a black hole, and so I just think we can step back a little bit and have discussions that are rooted 
in something more virtuous than uh, maybe um, the the wagging of our finger at people who disagree with us um, on those issues. I wholeheartedly agree. I wholeheartedly agree. And I think that, you know, if I'm, as you describe it here, you know, a micro moralist, if I am wagging my finger at some particular, um, you know, micro moral issue and somebody might even be saying right now, it's not a micro issue. It's a, you know, it's a mega issue. Yeah, I get that as well. Um, But all it takes is for the other person to, to, to point at the, um, you know, the flaw in me. Um, and the flaw in, yeah. you know, the, the the sin in my life. And then it's as if we're on equal footing. And that is just not what is going on. So how can I, as a Christian, um, cultivate a a witness because of the beauty and truth represented in my life? Like a life of virtue is its own testimony. And I'm not saying that we never open our mouths. I mean, you guys know me better right. than that. Like, right, public engagement matters. Um, but that public engagement has to be rooted in um, a persuasive, virtuous life, um, and 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 our conversations about um, the way things are supposed to be versus the way things are have to be rooted in creation, um, have to be rooted in truth, have to be rooted in scripture, have to be um, demonstrated in lives that are um, filled with and 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 bear witness to the active work of the Holy Spirit. So Daryl, we got to take a very very brief break. When we come back, um let's um let's let's continue this conversation um and maybe we'll press into uh part 2 of the conversation um on this. And again, this this presses a little more fully into um let's say uh creating remedies in in the culture today. Um, and so we're going to talk about element two on Daryl's list, and that is incarnational responsibility. So we're going to put some flesh on it. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show we do on the Faith Radio Network every day. There is a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources waiting for you to take advantage of and share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. Be sure to check us out on social media as well. Um, This is a community of believers, and we gather together here, and we all need prayer. And well, we'd love to pray for you. The Faith Radio team is serious about prayer. We pray for specific requests every single week when we gather on Tuesdays and Thursdays as a staff. So share your prayer request with us anonymously and securely on our website at myfaithradio.com, and then be assured of our prayers for you in the Spirit of Christ. Check it all out at MyFaithRadio.com. Our friend Daryl Crouch is here from Everyone's Wilson. I would commend this series of articles to you um, on Daryl's Substack. I'm more than happy to send you the direct links. You can always text me, 877-933-2484. Text line's always open for any other uh, comments, commentary, prayer request, you know. All, all the things, all the things. I'd love to hear from you. Um, Daryl, when we are having this conversation about, um, you know, what we're for and what we're against, how we influence the conversations of the day taking place, particularly in the public square, um, you know, just just dropping moral or moralistic bombs on social media is not actually engagement. Um, it's 
it's incendiary, it's flamethrowing, but it's not engagement. So what is, you know, what is civic engagement? Maybe we could start there. What does it mean to engage um, in the public conversations of the day? And then, you know, maybe some thoughts on how Christians um, ought to be doing that. Hmm. Really good. And uh, most of the time when we talk about public engagement with you know, from a Christian perspective, I, I think, at least in my world, I hear mostly about electoral politics and political engagement to make sure you vote for the right person, that you support the, the right policy of legislators and uh, so on. And I could not emphasize that how important that is. I mean, I, I just can't overemphasize how important that is. Um, I, I believe elections matter, and I believe that we should be engaged in electoral politics. I believe that um, the the things that we care about, the people that we love, our neighbors are affected by policy and legislation uh, from our at the local level, uh, state level, and national level. So, uh, I never want to step away from that. However, most of us, uh, we'll, we only vote every two years, four years. We most of us will never be uh, in politics personally. We're not going to run for office uh, at any level, and and that's okay. That's that's perfectly fine. Um, I, I think. Um, so, so the question is then, how do we engage? And and what that normally looks like is that we we tend to to speak our mind about pol- po- political things if we're so inclined, and we consider that public engagement. My contention is that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He came near uh, in order to solve our greatest problem. Jesus showed up. He came down and he put skin on, he put flesh on, and he dwelt among us because he loved us and loves us still. And so I think, um, I can't imagine, I don't think we have the minds to imagine how how offended, how repulsed, how, how brokenhearted God is over our sin. Yet he still sent his son. Because when he looks at us, when he sees us, he doesn't primarily see our sin. He primarily sees us as objects of his creation, image bearers who he loves. A lot of us, and this is our sinful nature, I think. This is kind of how we're bent. We do judge books by their cover. And and so when we see people uh, who may have a different view or lifestyle around sexuality, uh, transgenderism, um, other moral issues, we, we see those issues before we see the person. And um, a friend of mine, Eric Swanson, he, he says, if, if you don't love it, you, you can't really change it. If, if we really don't have a love for our neighbor, we're not going to have opportunity to influence them and serve them. And so really my contention with this incarnational responsibility is that we have a responsibility as Christians to to put skin in the game and serve our neighbors. Public engagement is not simply about polit- participating in the political process. It really is about being involved in the things that our community cares about, the things that our our neighbors care about, whether that's the the PTO at the school, whether that's the um uh, homeowners association, whether that's serving in some other aspect of the community and in, in foster care or homeless issues or 
Uh, again, education is a huge piece and a great opportunity, but but finding where people live and the things they care about is really an important place to start. Uh, the, the, the warning there, Carmen, is that it requires something of us. It requires time. It requires an emotional engagement. Uh, it requires us to overlook offenses um, and become a, be a part of of um, people's lives. One thing I'd say, just as a uh, just one before, before I let you kind of mm-hmm. jump back in, is that Jesus had a had an amazing ability, and and I'm so grateful he modeled this for us. But he didn't correct people every time they needed correction. Mm-hmm. He didn't always rebuke those who deserved a rebuke. Instead, he simply showed them a different way. Now he did he did his he did his share of rebuking, no question. But he didn't always default to um, pointing out people's fault. Instead, he got closer. He asked questions, and he offered solutions. Ultimately, in himself. I uh, I had somebody point out to me yesterday, just in relationship to all that's happening um, in Israel right now. Um, you know, we we have this sense that everything is like you know right now. It's immediate. It yeah. is. You know, it's all about the day in which we live. And this person said, look, I mean, you know, Jesus um, lived in, you know, in the context of an Israel that was occupied by Rome and Rome didn't fall for 325 years. You know, it's not it's not like Rome fell the day after Jesus rose from the dead. Um, You know, his people gained an influence over time that, you know, that eventually actually led to the transformation of Western culture and um, and I think contributed certainly to the fall of the Roman Empire, good or bad, as you might conceive of that in history. I mean, but, you know, empires, nations rise and fall. Um, the word of God stands forever. The kingdom of God is forever and ever. Um, Jesus is Lord of lives, not nations. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, he's, you know, he is the the king of a kingdom with a big K. Uh, and he is the king of individuals in the midst of kingdoms, small k, um, you know, in, in time and space reality right now. So I just think that there, there's a lot of complexity to um, the conversation and, and, and you're helping us, you know, sort of find our feet in the midst of all of it. So we have to leave it right there um, today, Daryl. But thank you so much for this unfolding series. Let's continue this conversation the next time you join us. I appreciate that. It's an honor, and thank you for all you're doing today. It's important. These are important conversations right now. Yeah, I'm more than happy to send you direct links to um, these uh, first couple of blogs in this series that Daryl is working on. Um, you can find him directly at darylcrouch.substack.com and at everyoneswilson.org. Um, but remember, I can shoot you those um, links directly. Just text me, 877 933 Eight four. Um, so here will be my um, Wednesday revelation for you. <clears throat> I do not like weak coffee. I just don't. I don't like weak coffee. So uh, this came to mind in reading and rereading and considering Jesus's um, statement in Revelation about preferring people who are either hot or cold, and you know, spitting out of his mouth those who are like tepid. Uh, I think I feel that way um, about weak coffee. So not lukewarm, um, not tepid, not tasteless. If you're going to have coffee, let's have coffee. And now I know you're wondering, what does this have to do with Jim Dennison joining us next? Yeah, you're just going to have to wait and see. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. 
Jim Dennison is the founder of the Dennison Forum. You guys know that I rely every single day on the daily article, which you can find at denisonforum.org. Our friend Jim Dennison is back today. Uh, good morning, Jim. Good morning, Carmen. So glad to be back with you today. How are you? Well, uh, I am well, but these are sober times. We have, yes, uh, will not be are. a surprise to you, spending a lot of time um, every day this week focused on, attentive to not only the concerns unfolding in Israel, but how we as Christians um, might be processing these things and 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 responding. So I think I just want to start there. Um, your experience, your friends, your perspective, um, kind of whatever you want to say today about um, what is happening and and how you're processing um, all of it. Yeah, thank you, Carmen, for giving me a chance to do that. So I went to Israel for the first time in 1995. I've led 35 study tours there over the years since, written a number of books, lots of articles, I've taught world religions for 40 years at four seminaries. And so it's always been an issue of mine, really a passion of mine. But over the years, going to Israel three or four times a year, I've developed some of the deepest friendships I've ever had with a number of people who live in Israel. And so watching what's happening right now is deeply grievous for me and for all of us that love Israel, that love the land, that especially love the people. One of my dear friends, for instance, has a grandson who enlisted in the Israeli Defense Force just a week before this started. We don't know where he is. We don't know if he's okay mm. right now. I have another dear friend. In fact, I quoted him in the daily article today. Uh, a neighboring kibbutz to the kibbutz where he grew up has been absolutely decimated. It's now all over the news today. It's been associated by Associated Press and others. Carmen, the things that are being discovered that happen in that kibbutz are horrific. Beheading mm -hmm. of babies and women. It's absolutely beyond description what's happened there. And so I'm grieving about what's happening with my friends, with their families, as well as what this could mean for the future of Israel and the geopolitics in the land. Um, I find myself... Um struggling for uh for words appropriate to how i'm feeling and mm -hmm. part of that jim is because i'm like judging my feelings like right i'm like is i mean i i'm so angry i'm so grieved um i don't want my anger and my grief to in any way compromise um my witness and so i there are times I find myself taking longer pauses and deeper breaths and and um <clears throat> and hesitating before I speak. Um like you, I have friends there and I have friends whose kids are on the front lines called up um as reservists just in the last uh, 48 hours. Um mm -hmm. and um and yes, like you, friends who have lost precious, precious loved ones in the midst of this. And <clears throat> I also am really grieved about the response that I am seeing in cities across the United States, but also cities around the world, um, where people are calling for death to the Jews, or they're celebrating, they're, you know, they're celebrating these massacres, they're celebrating these atrocities. And I'm not unfamiliar with the issues related to um those who we would call Palestinians. I'm not, I am not unfamiliar with those concerns. Um, but nothing, uh, nothing justifies um, the celebration of this kind of grotesque and inhumane attack. And so can you, 
just like as a pastor, help me wade into and, and around in some of that? Well, first of all, I think you've said it extremely well. And I think what you've said is what we should all be saying right now. Lord, help me to break my heart with what breaks your heart. Give me your wisdom. Give me your eyes. Give me your heart for this. Help me to speak in a way that advances my witness, that advances your kingdom, that actually is redemptive. I believe God redeems all he allows. God, how could you be redeeming this moment? And how can mm. I be a means to that end? And Lord, what could be happening here at that point? One of the things I'm praying for, Carmen, is a spiritual awakening to continue as a result of this in ways that couldn't have happened otherwise. I don't for a moment believe that God caused this. Don't for a moment, of course, believe that any of this is doing anything but breaking the heart of God. But there's a significant spiritual awakening happening in the Muslim world right now. My friends in Israel and missionaries there tell me that there's a significant kind of underground movement in the Jewish community of more and more people turning to Christ as Messiah. One of the ways I think we can be praying right now is for God to use this to show the Palestinians and the Jews how much they need him how much what they're doing isn't working, how what they've been trying to do to achieve a kind of peace and security there hasn't worked. And they need a, a new answer, a higher power, a new direction. And praying for God to be using these horrific atrocities in a way that could call people to himself. I'm praying for the pastors in the community, for the faith leaders there, that God will give them strength and wisdom and peace as well. I have good friends in the Arab Christian community there in Bethlehem and in Nazareth, and I'm praying for God to give them wisdom in this space as well. So you're right. On the one side, we should be absolutely outraged about what's happening and about the responses around the world. That group in Sydney that chanted, gas the Jews. Other, I, I wrote about them in my article this morning. People in Manhattan's Times Square in London, in Germany, uh, even the United Nations Human Rights Council that held a moment of silence for the loss of innocent lives in the occupied Palestinian territory and elsewhere. Nowhere mentioning the Israeli victims, 1,100 so far that have been slaughtered. We should be outraged, but we should also be praying, Lord, how can I be part of the answer, part of the solution? How could there be an awakening that comes from this that could honor our Lord? That's so helpful. Um, how do you respond, Jim, when people are like, hey, this is the Bible coming to life. This is, um, you know, this is at some level, you know, these are the kinds of things that must happen. Um, could you balance our... I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe our heart's desire for the end to come, right? There's the, there is this, you know, Maranatha come Lord Jesus part of us. Um, but there, not everything that is, uh, happening right now is necessarily, you know, checking off a, um, a prophetic box. Is that, is that fair? I think that's very fair myself. As you know, there are a number of ways to do eschatology around Israel, whether 1948 was a fulfillment of prophecy or not, whether the literal geopolitical state of Israel factors into prophetic tradition, a number of different ways we can look at this. But even if you go that direction, even if you want to say that as Russia backs Iran, who's backing these terrorists, and then China is backing Russia, and you connect some geopolitical dots here, and you get to Gog and Magog and try to move this into a prophetic context, even if we look at it that way, we have to be grieving for those that are lost and slaughtered as a result of what's happening right now. And we have to absolutely understand God would never be about that. That's the enemy at work. In John 10.10, Jesus says the enemy comes to steal and kill and destroy. That's Satan at work. And so we absolutely have to be grieving the loss of life and all that's happening in this context, even if we believe that God might be redeeming this toward a larger eschatological end times purpose. So have to keep those things separate, I think. 
Otherwise, we have to be very, very careful of looking as though we see God on some level being the author of what absolutely the enemy is doing in this moment. Scripture says that God is the author of every good and perfect and, and pleasing will, and that every good and perfect gift comes from God. And so God is grieving this. God is weeping right now. He's weeping with these families, with our friends and families as well. And we need to have his heart in the midst of this crisis. We're talking with Jim Dennison. Um, I commend to you what he is writing at denisonforum.org. Today's daily article actually is, you know, the headline is a question, and it's a question that many, many people um, ask. They ask in the midst of it, why do so many people hate the Jews? If you've been wondering that, we're going to address that with Jim next. Why do so many people hate the Jews. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Angela Smith, host of Reading the Bible Together. And have you ever read the book of Matthew? You know, at the very beginning when it has the whole genealogy of Jesus and read or tried to read through those difficult names and thought, who are these people? What what are their stories? You know, why are they listed here? In our next reading plan, we're going to be looking at five of the women in Jesus's genealogy. It's called Unexpected, Five Women in the Lineage of Jesus. We're going to take a look at Tamar. Who was she? You know, what, what is her story? We're going to look at Rahab and Ruth and Bathsheba and Mary, Jesus's mother. All the women who you're going to hear on the podcast have contributed to the study guide. You can get your hands on that study guide at myfaithradio.com and sign up. I sure hope that you'll do this study with us so that the next time you go and read Jesus's genealogy, you'll recognize some of those names and know some of those stories. You can get that study guide at myfaithradio.com, and you can listen to Reading the Bible Together podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're talking with our friend, Dr. Jim Dennison. Um, you can find him at denisonforum.org. Um, Jim, why do people hate the Jews? Isn't that a difficult question and one that should be grieving us? It goes all the way back to the Egyptians, you think of in the time of Moses, and then the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Greeks, the Romans, Hitler, the final solution, the horrific genocide. Across these millennia, it seems that this is just a recurring pattern, doesn't it? In the context of what's happening in the Middle East, there are really three factors we have to bear in mind. One has to do with how the Quran views the Jews. On one side, it sees them as people of the book. Muhammad actually thought his movement in Mecca would be embraced by the Jews. He initially had his followers praying toward Jerusalem. When the Jewish tribes there rejected his movement, he had them turn their back on Jerusalem and pray toward Mecca instead. So there's been this problematic uh, movement there. Three times in the Quran, the Jews are referred to as apes and swine. And so there's a Quran piece of this relative to how Muslims view the Jews, a problematic relationship. Second level is geopolitical. The Muslims believe that the creation of Israel in 1948 was a theft of land from the original Palestinian owners. Well, the Quran in Surah 2 verse 190 requires Muslims to defend Islam. So they think they're required to attack Israel in defense of Islam. And then a third piece that goes with that, because Israel's a democracy where the Jewish uh, people, where the Israelis support their government, the radicalized Muslims, the jihadists, see them as complicit in this attack on Islam. And they think that slaughtering Jews is a defense of Islam required by the Quran. 
So in this specific context, there are really three pieces to this. Now, Iran factors into this as well. They think the existence of Israel is what's preventing the return of the Mahdi, which is their version of the Messiah. And some of them think they have to attack Israel to hasten the return of the Mahdi. So there's an Iranian piece inside all of this as well. There's some sociology in this having to do with the prosperity of the Jews over the centuries and how people have blamed them for a lot of the issues they themselves have faced. And a lot of pieces inside this, but in, in the specific context of Hamas has to do with the creation of Israel itself and how they see the citizens as complicit in this attack on Islam. A lot of theology inside the sociology of this. Yeah, I, the, that is a great summary um, statement. There is a lot of theology in the sociology of all of this, and that is um, that is particularly helpful. Um, I I teased our conversation <clears throat> because uh, earlier by disclosing to people who are listening to whom it will be no surprise that I don't like weak coffee, I like I like strong coffee. I also like bold faith. Um, and so I thought that might be a, a segue into a brief conversation here about your new book, um, Bold Faith, First Century Lessons for the 21st Century Church. You, you really offer a cult- cultural commentary on the book of Acts. Um, I, I think that the question um, of whether or not God can still do today and still does today the kinds of things that we witness God doing um, in and through and among the first century church. That, that is a very real question that people have. Can you talk with us a little bit about bold faith? Yeah, thank you for that. And I agree with you. I don't drink coffee, although my wife uh, doesn't start the day without coffee, and we're happy when that happens. And so I do understand the context there. But in the context of the boldness of the faith that we're to have today, there's a statement that's in a philosophy of religion book that I encountered in 1981. That's a while ago. I must have been in kindergarten at the time or something. But nonetheless, the professor makes a statement that divine nature doesn't change and human nature doesn't change, which means the Bible is always as relevant as it ever was. Because our issues don't change, the biblical answers to the questions of the day are still the answers to the questions of our day. The Bible's just as relevant as it was. All of God there is is in this moment. Well, we need to hear that because we live in this scientific, post-Christian, post-modern world that really does see the Bible as irrelevant, outdated, if not dangerous, to sociology and society as it is seen uh, today. There's this sense in uh, kind of a historiography that if something doesn't happen today, it couldn't have happened then. So if I don't walk on water, Jesus didn't walk on water. If I don't see bodies raised from the dead, Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. Ernst Trelsch and others kind of made that a popular mm. idea in our culture today. So we just kind of have this bias against the miraculous. We have this bias against anything that predates us as though we have evolved to a place of kind of an elevated, advanced, illuminated society and a book 20 centuries old can't be relevant for us. All of that is what I, why I wrote the book, to give us a sense that what God did in the book of Acts, he's still doing today. We're living in Acts 29. These are not the acts of the apostles. They're the acts of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is just as alive today as he was then, just as powerful as he was then, and does today what he did then. So people ask, well, why, why am I not seeing that? Philip Yancey made a statement, God goes where he's wanted. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. If I don't believe God does miracles, I won't pray for miracles, and I'll not be surprised when I don't see miracles. If I don't believe God is omnipotent, I won't trust God's omnipotence, I might, and I shouldn't be surprised if I don't experience God's omnipotence. Faith doesn't earn God's blessing, but it positions us to receive his blessing. 
And if I don't believe there's something in the box, I'm not going to open it. If I don't believe in the goodness of the person giving the gift, I may not want to receive the gift. And so I'm hoping the book will help us to have a first century faith because that's so desperately needed in this 21st century crisis. So good. Um, yes, for those of you um, who furrowed your brow and didn't know why, uh, living in Acts 29, yes, we know the book of Acts has 28 chapters. That was Jim's point. We are living We are living in the chapter that follows the last chapter of the book of Acts. We are living as the church of Jesus Christ in the world today, activated by the Holy Spirit. Um, I want to circle back around here just for one minute, um, Jim, this, uh, on this Israel conversation, um, spiritual warfare. There is a spiritual warfare component to all of this. You dealt with this in one of your posts this week. Um, just, just help us to engage as Christians with the reality that Satan loves to deceive, Satan hates the people of God, and Satan loves to kill. Yeah, thank you. At the end of the day, we are on this front line. We're grateful for those that are defending Israel. We're grateful for anybody that will be supporting that military action and all that's in the midst of that. And by the way, I think we're probably in the early stage of that. I'm really very much watching what's happening in Hezbollah and with Palestinian Islamic Jihad and the on the West Bank and all that could be about a larger strategy that could be at work here as well. And so we want to obviously be grateful for soldiers that are supporting and, and defending as innocent civilians in the military context of this. There are geopolitics in this. There's financial pieces of this, all that goes into this. But at the end of the day, when we pull back and look at this through spiritual lens, we understand Satan is ultimately about this. Satan does come to steal and kill and destroy. He's a liar and the father of lies. He's a murderer, as Jesus says in John chapter 8. And all of this is pleasing him, advancing his agenda. Well, since we know that, we have to respond to that. We have to fight this battle on our knees. So that means that we pray, first of all, every single day for leaders, as we're commanded in First Timothy. Pray for leaders to have wisdom and direction. We pray for protection for innocent civilians, Palestinian and Israeli. We pray for direction and, and for peace that could be brought about through justice and righteousness in the midst of all of this. We pray for spiritual awakening. We pray for hearts and souls to be turned to the Lord in the midst of all of this. We pray against discouragement. The enemy loves to use discouragement as a tool for advancing his purposes in the world. We get on that front line every single day on our knees. If I could share a parable at that point very quickly, the story is told about the time the devil had a garage sale, put all of his tools out and they're priced and marked and here's lust and hatred and murder and all of that. One tool down at the very end, it's more worn than any other, no label, highest price of all. Someone asked the enemy what it was. He said, that's discouragement. They asked why it's priced so high. He said, because no one knows it's mine. We can't let him use that tool. These are days that God wants to redeem for his glory and the advancement of his kingdom. So let's get on the front lines here. Let's attack the gates of hell as Jesus commanded us in Matthew 16. Let's go into the world on our knees and let's pray against what the enemy is doing and ask God with his angelic forces and the power of his Holy Spirit to be advancing a spiritual awakening we need so desperately in Israel and literally in America as well. Mm. Thank you, Jim, as always, um, for what you do every single day. Uh, I certainly rely upon it. I know others do as well. You guys can connect with the resources we talked about today uh, at 
denisonforum.org. I'm happy to send you direct links to some of the articles we discussed. It's also um, where you can connect with Jim's new book, Bold Faith, First Century Lessons for the 21st Century Church. All right, a lot to process. Thank you for the questions that you're sending me um, from your Jewish friends, from people you went to college with, the things you're seeing on social media and how to respond. Um, I will respond to each and every one of you that's texting in this morning. I recognize we have a lot of questions. Um, and so thank you. Um, thank you for having the conversation. Thank you for being concerned. Thank you for praying. Thank you for taking advantage of the resources that um, that are offered not only here, but through um, reliable ministries. Um, these are the days in which God has ordained that we should live. And we are um, his people. And we're going to bring um, his spirit to bear on the conversations of the day. We're going to bring his word to bear on the conversations of the day. And yeah, we're going to pray. We're going to um, we're going to pray for um, the peace of Jerusalem and the welfare of the city. And we're going to pray for Israel. Um, and we're going to engage. Um, and we're going to do that primarily on our knees. We got another hour of mornings with Carmen up next. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.